Welcome to the Cinephile Hits and Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade film movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan, and I'm sitting in solo tonight with Will Johnson, who's uh, bogged down in some school stuff. Um, it is the busy season for all of us, and I can attest to that, too, as a teacher. But tonight, I'm flying solo, but I do have a guest. Welcoming, welcome, please help me welcome back to the show, Kitty Glidewell of The Blonde in Front. Hello, hello, hello. Always a pleasure to be on Cinephile His Fit with you, Don. Oh, thank you. But you, you, it's nice to be with Will, too, every now and then, you know. But tonight, we can shave that off. Um, but no, and I maybe, do uh, very much. I very, very, very much miss Will. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, to slip it in there. Nice work. And we, <laughs> we got it on tape. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you folks. This is all for tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. No matter what, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, Kitty and I are going to continue a little string we've been recording here about um, some recent new releases that are jumping into the end of summer, beginning of fall season that we think uh, are worth your time to see, or, to see and also hear about. So this week, we've got Dumb Money from director Craig Gillespie. And uh, our format is this. Uh, Katie is the guest and the recommending lover. She's going to go first. She will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower her praise and state her high-minded case. The hater will which won't be me. Come on now. Uh, follows with five uninterrupted minutes of my own to present any counterpoints or extra points or any matter of intellectual scorcher to make me sound smart. After that, we'll open it up for about a half hour of shared conversation where the his fit really gets chippy. So um, I don't have a stock app to make a little dingy sound like the movie does, but let's go. Katie, dumb money. Opening five minutes are yours. All right. Well, one thing I want to say is that uh, be smart and watch some money. Like, honestly, one of the most intelligent films of the year. It does what the big short did, except it actually makes it more relatable. And I don't want to say it dumbs it down regarding the uh, financial happenings in 2021 regarding the game stock, uh, stock crisis, but it definitely, yeah, I would say it makes it more relatable to people who don't understand a lot about the stock market at all. Uh, the cast, that's the thing that is the standout in this film. I mean, honestly, I'm going to say it right now. It's one of my favorites of the year. Uh, go see this in the theater. Watch it at home when it's on streaming. But honestly, go see this in the theater. It's going to be called the David and the Goliath film. I kind of think it's like the oxymoron of, or not oxymoron, but Robin Hood in reverse. Like, Stealing from the poor and giving to the rich. Uh, Paul Dano plays Keith Gill. He gets um, this. He buys some stock in GameStop. He has a uh, you know a channel on YouTube. He talks to his you know quote unquote fans or people that watch him just to say this is why he likes the stock. He just does. He thinks it's gonna um, keep going. People follow him, and it ends up making like hundreds of thousands of dollars for some millions for others until the big boys of Ken Griffin and a number of other players get involved and realize, well, wait a minute, not the every man could, should be making this money. It should be me who already has a billion dollars, which I think I'm going to be on a little soapbox on this. Let's talk about hoarding money. That's something that not a lot of um, films um, talk about. This one doesn't either, but it's a fact that the reason why a number of people are as poor as they are or are staying 
in the class that they are is because the rich just wants to hoard all the money. And this is a prime example in dumb money. Uh, I will have to say that they definitely give creative licensing um, to uh, the character, or not the character, but to the casting of Vlad Tenev um, for Robin Hood. Uh, they cast Sebastian Stan, love him, think he's amazing, love it whenever he does any sort of uh, work that portrays real people that they definitely do creative licensing, considering I think he is one of the most handsome men in the planet. Uh, at the end of the film, this isn't a spoiler because it is based on, you know, facts or at least, you know, with creative licensing. But at the end, uh, during professional hearings, they actually show the um, or parts of the congressional hearings that are in the film. You then see what some of these characters look like. I will say that the casting, uh, as I had said before, you know, you've got, I mean, it just goes on. Paul Dano, Pete Davidson, Vincent D'Onofrio, America Ferreira, who is killing it in 2023. Uh, she plays a nurse named Jenny. And the other thing that Dumb Money does, it shows what people's like net value is and the negative amount because of school because of loans, because of divorce, whatever's going on in their life. I think that's amazing uh, because it shows these are real people. These are real people with real problems. There's also the 1% of the 1% that have 16 billion who, you know, if a couple hundred thousand or whatever go away, I mean, I would not like to miss a hundred thousand, but uh, that's just me. But I find that this film just makes people see the power of the stock market and how the people of America can get that back. Know what you're doing with your money, follow along, figure out um, how to make that work for you and do it because this is your life. You need to figure it out. And I think this is one that honestly, with the screenplay that is done by a number, I mean, there's like, I think, okay, there's not that many. Uh, Lauren <laughs> Sugar Bloom, Rebecca Angelo, and Ben Mesrick. I love it. I think you guys have a shot at uh, a nominee for best screenplay, but see this movie in the film folks. Again, one of my favorites of the year and Don, I'm going to give it to you. Oh, thank you. No, I, I, I know we're supposed to do lover and hater, but I, I can't either. This is one of my favorites of the year too. Yeah. It's, um, I'm with you. It, you started with the word smart and it, it just goes there. Um, what you compared it kind of for initially to Anna McKay with the, like the big short and whatnot. And the big short, while being very humorous with the way that it stops and lectures the audience about what's going on and kind of, I'll just say it, mansplain some financial things going on because they put Margot Robbie in bubble bath. Um, like this movie, doesn't do that. It lets you see what is, uh, it kind of educates you through character reactions and it educates you through the nervousness. And, and when it wants to be crass and when it wants to be rated R, it is like, I think the fun thing, like where you, you don't need any man spending, you don't need any financial advice to watch people say, holy shit with different inflections where you get to this point, it's at the beginning of the movie. And then they kind of, it's like the the beginning of the movie has a moment where everyone's kind of, kind of saying, holy shit, it kind of goes with part of the introductions that go with what you're talking about, where there's a little, the baseball stats of their net worth and whatnot. But you're watching these people kind of go, holy shit or holy shit. And it, it's the, is it shock? Is it anger? Is it intrigue? Is it flummox? Is it doom? Is it rejoicing? Is it cursing for real? Like the fun part is you get to kind of find out and see 
why everyone's saying holy shit. Um, whether it's about the money, whether it's about you know the the tagline for this movie calls it an insane true story. So you're definitely kind of going for the whole idea of like, all right, foolish and excessive. Here we go. And the um the weird thing is the most foolish things um might turn out to be kind of the smarter things and the most excessive things are the things we're talking about that we want to see some things be called out the hoarding the the message movie aspect of where this movie's going and uh yeah this is such it's good fire band movie making it's good message movie making i think you i think every year you need you need one or two of these kinds of movies where you take an you take an issue and you dramatize it with some docufiction so to speak and and let it cast just have had it uh let let a creator and a writer you know um you know i don't want to say rub our noses in in uh in what's out there and whatnot but just kind of raise the flag show the alarm of kind of something hey something if you missed it here's some what you should know about or hey you heard this little headline back in 2021 here's a little bit more of the true story and if it's embellished great if it's not hey go find out and um you said it best where this movie does so um, like this movie, in a different version of this movie just has Paul Dano and the rich people that are the billionaires that are kind of manipulating the short sale stuff and the squeeze that's happening. Where it's just Nick Offerman, it's just Vincent D'Onofrio and Seth Rogen, and then to Paul Dano. But for this movie to kind of stretch and ta- uh, take this to likely composite characters from lots of the different places who are just your, you know, your, they call them in the movie retail investors, but they're your typical people who are just trying to find an edge, make some money, be smart while they do it. And they are your regular folk. The fact that this movie uses those characters to evoke the reactions they do, holy shit and all, um, and to see their ups and downs. Um, not just Paul Dano's ups and downs as our lead protagonist. That's kind of brilliant to me, where I think a lot of movies would just do David and Goliath and not show you the other people in between, or they don't give David any reinforcements here. David has reinforcements and it's good old fashioned public people. Um, I really enjoyed, for example, I, you said it, America first killing it, but uh, the college students, which is my Holla Herald from bodies, bodies, bodies. And then never really sometimes always start Tally Ryder like those two, you know, as college students with all this debt, like, you, you would think, ah, oh, dumb college students are just making silly investments because, again, you're thinking insane. You're thinking foolish. But to watch them go through their peaks and valleys and their nervous, their their comfort level, their confidence level and what's going on. And the education just kind of comes through watching these characters imp- apply the things that are happening that Keith Gill is informing the, the public about with through social media and whatnot. So, yeah, super smart movie. A, uh, a movie made for definitely now. Like, you wouldn't think of 2021 as being history. But this is a, you know, this is a COVID time capsule. This is a, a Wall Street time capsule in a weird way. And it, it's it's fascinating. Uh, I, I could not take my eyes off the screen. It's one of those movies you want to deep dive when you're done. You want to go home and look up all the different. Um, I know, like you said, the credits, they show that kind of the real versions of the characters, but you just want more. Um, and when movies do that, get you going on an issue, get you interested in the issue and entertain you along the way. Man, I don't know what more you can ask from a good movie to do. So, yeah, good stuff. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's take a quick break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Redrum, all things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry. The killer's behind you! All right, welcome back. Uh, Yeah, Katie. Um, I like what you said, like... um, you kind of tipped into it, and I know I called it message movie. Like those big pillars. Tell me more about how you're feeling about those. 
About the white? Uh, just kind of those big, like, society, like, hey, like, this movie's kind of pointing the finger, and, and worthy, worthily so. Um, do you think the movie does it in a good way? Is it, is it weak sauce? Are they missing? Because I've seen some criticisms on this movie where, like, it doesn't go hard enough. How do you feel about that? No, I think it does it in, I mean, I think it, the key to its success is that it is so relatable because it's not like, uh, and I don't know how accurate it is because I didn't go too deep in it because yeah. I like the fact that Keith Gill, if that, if that even is his real name, because I feel like after this, yeah. he kind of became, um, the Bartman of, you know, uh, the stock world. Um, mm. but, uh, the fact that, I mean, we, everyone that was involved in the film, you know, they all have their own, uh, battles that they're facing. Like they have stuff at home, they have multiple jobs, you know, they're in debt. They're doing this. They're not just doing this to get rich. They're doing it to get out of a hole mm-hmm. that what, for whatever reason, you know, out, I mean, like you discuss college students, like they're in a hundred plus thousand dollars in debt because they're in school. Like Mm -hmm. you have the nurse who had schooling. She has divorce. She has credit card debt. I mean, it's not like these people are just like, Oh, you know, I'm just going to throw this money away. And this, it's like, these are all people who are, you know, quote unquote, doing the right thing. They're working hard. They're, you know, you know, uh, getting education, uh, providing for their family and they're struggling. Like everyone is struggling. And that's the thing that I think that is honestly the most relatable thing about the film. And it's like, it's not bad that, you know, the little guy just wants to get a leg up. This isn't going to be, I mean, I feel like the amount of money that the entire GameStop, um, stock market like what it was valued at is even is nothing to what um those billionaires are worth like if they lost that money like it would not affect them in any long-term way but this is something that they just it's like this can't happen you can't have Mm -hmm. people uh be you can't have people winning and that was the thing that i feel like is very relatable. Like these are people yeah. who are just trying, they didn't want to give up. They didn't want to stop. Even though people are like, okay, you know, sell. It's like, no, we're going to follow him. We're going to follow. Keith Hold because- diamond hands, right? All that shit. Oh yeah. Fun. Diamond hands. Yeah. Hold it up. It's like, it's like, if he says we go, we go. It's like, it was very brave hardish the way they yeah. stuck by him. And that is amazing. I mm-hmm. do not remember any of this. I only know a little bit of the GameStop thing because I follow Dave Portnoy on okay. Instagram. So I see some of it and then to see him in the film. But yeah, I just feel like um, to see everyone that has their um, backstories and stuff like that, it makes them amazing people that you want to get to know yeah. and feel for and you want them to win. I know. I like um and I like as a film how they how they kind of gave everyone their time without like I think a clumsier movie would like dedicate little mini chapters like let's just stay on America Ferrera for her ten minutes and then let's stay on so and so for their ten minutes and then come back at the end and bring everybody together like this is so savvy and smooth the way they they put everybody they they merge all these different perspectives and places where um, they do it with montage 
Like this almost yeah. feels like a sports movie where where you would normally have a rocky training montage. You'll have some bumping 2020s explicitly or grab song uh, and you'll at, you know, where everyone's listening to the same song and there are little places, but they're going through whatever they're going through. Rich people, poor people, all of them like that. That song will be on and they'll just you'll watch. You'll see that little slice of life of all of them and it merges them all together in this whole thing. Um, shout out to uh, editor Kirk Baxter, um, who is David Fincher's usual editor uh, coming in here and helping Gillespie where. Yeah, just the the montages that kind of merge the characters from different casts, riding their little waves, um, where you kind of, by putting them so close to each other and sharing space, so to speak, or sharing the song, it just ups that whole us versus them slant that the whole movie's going for. And I just, yeah, it gives it some energy and some speed. And uh, and of course, the songs that go with it, it's just such a great soundtrack. Um, but all together, I mean, this isn't some epic opus people versus layer fit two and a half hour thing this is uh, 104 minutes bang you're out of there it's it's really tight and i i appreciate that oh agreed uh the runtime was incredible i mean especially with oscars coming up and the awards yeah. season this is one of those films that could they have given more time to it i mean probably you sure. can you can add a few more characters you can stress out uh stretch out a few more scenes but they didn't they didn't do that. And I'm actually I'm very, very glad they did. Uh, I think the editing was tight. As you said, Don, that soundtrack is mm. incredible. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that is killer. Uh, and honestly, I think it's one of Pete Davidson's best works. Uh, I, I mean, am with he, you. Go on. He has one of my favorite lines in the film. It's like DoorDash is a job. I'm a first <laughs> responder. This is such a time. <laughs> time capsule 2020 2021 yeah. film that to hear that and you know relate <laughs> back to 2020 i'm like okay that's really funny and considering like um this is a spoiler for the film it really makes me think uh it's not it's not a good represent representation of door dash everybody his character oh, yeah. is the worst with that delivery it's <laughs> like is. to see him actually drink people's drinks oh, and man. then deliver yeah. them oh that was actually one of the yeah. scariest things I've seen this year. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, I, I, I have to think it happens, right? I mean, it's just too perfect and too good. No, um, I got to second you with Pete. Um, to me, um, I haven't, not that I've seen him in everything he's ever done, but for me, this is kind of the first time a movie's really used him to kind of the most ideal proportion of like screen time, the guise of his character, because Pete Davidson's kind of, Unfortunately, Pete Davidson, like his little stoner self is kind of the only the only movie he's got. Like no at no point is he gonna be in a black and white segment of, of Oppenheimer anytime soon. Like he's just not gonna be that person. He's not gonna be in a period piece. <laughs> he's not gonna be in a sci-fi movie unless he's the Steve Buscemi character in Armageddon. Um, but to use him and I know he's had his solo shot, like King's uh, King Staten Island is, you know, a two and a half hour tribute to Oh, to him or whatever he is, so to speak, in terms of just like uh, ego character, stoner self, um, dreams and whatnot. But to to see that character guy is kind of channeled here um, as that supporting cheerleader character. And again, just enough jokes with the, the DoorDash stuff and just enough like, you know, the 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 reactions that he has when he's in the room with his brother busting balls. And, and of course, by the time we're running through lightning with your dick out, it's just hilarious. Like uh, he's there to kind of take a metaphor and make it funny. And I, I'm, I'm down for that because I think that movie, I think the movie has enough humor on its own, but but Pete takes it over the top and it helps a ton. Agreed. Uh, yeah. I also got to say it's got solid uh, like 
side characters in it, like Dane DeHaan, who plays yeah. the uh, manager of the actual GameStop in, is it Minnesota? I think in Minnesota, yeah, because Anthony Ramos is there too, right? Yes, who, uh-huh. again, chef's kiss, what a get. Yeah. one of my favorite scenes at the end of the film. Oh, He's yes. fantastic. Nick Offerman, Vincent D'Onofrio. I mean, everyone who plays their part does it in an excellent way. And yeah. I, my two, two of my favorites, Kate Burton and Clancy Brown, who play Bill's mm. parents, who, as well as going through what many of us have gone through in 2020, uh, that I don't want to get into because it's kind of a spoiler. They're just supportive parents. And, uh, you know, we're all just uh, 2020 was a struggle in so yeah. many ways. And they're dealing with that. And I think I just love seeing those two uh, people in any sort of film. But to see them mm-hmm. as a couple, what I think was great. That was a that was a that was a beautiful surprise to me. Yeah, I um. if there's one actor or actress in the ensemble where I don't want to say they're they were wasted because they're there and they're in plenty of scenes, but maybe they're overqualified versus what they're given to do. Maybe it's Shailene Woodley. Shailene Woodley at 31. I think she's 31. She's a little old to play like the nervous wife at home. You know, like it's not a now I know that at the time uh, I think Keith was about that young or I don't know. I think Paul Dan was probably a little older than Shailene Woodley, but uh, but no, like she uh, I, I thought for a minute here, like, oh, gosh, they've got Shailene Woodley playing the nervous wife at home. Like, just the uh, honey, what are you doing? Like, I was expecting her to kind of be the 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 long suffering wife cliche of like not understanding what her husband's doing or not caring what her husband's doing or. Hey, what about me? What about the kids? What about the family? But I love how lockstep they make Caroline, his wife in this movie. where like, no, nah, man, get it. Go, you know, because she could mm-hmm. she could she has these moments where. You know, she has that spousal opportunity to kind of pull the plug and go, hey, what are we doing here? That's kind of enough money. Let's get out while you can. Don't get, you know, don't get discovered. Be ready for the government. What what, what if you're doing something wrong? Like, she's that voice of reason that isn't the nagging wife, but is the supportive partner. And I, I dug that. Like, I, I was worried for a minute that an overqualified Shailene Willie's in here playing the mom, but she does a nice job. Well, and I... No, I agree. I love the fact that she is. She's extremely supportive. The only time that you really, uh, that there is a complaint is when people figure out like who Keith is and then they're on their yard, which, you know, start, that's not what everyone signs up for at all. Even when you so, you know, quote unquote, sign up for it, it's still a very jarring thing. It's like, okay, now you have no privacy. You now have to close your curtains. You now have to go through the back door and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that is the only time that she complained and rightfully so. But yeah, yeah, she wanted him. Um, uh, it's like, look, you got to do this. Like, do you think you're doing something wrong? No, then keep going. Like, unless you think you could go to jail, this is you. And I kind of think that um, now the role of Olivia Thurlby, which look, yeah, if Rogan twice in this smaller one, yeah. role. I think she was great the way she stated her lines, even though I think she's got like eight in the film as Seth Rogan's wife. But man, she she really nails it when she's like, So how much did we lose? And how much did we lose yesterday? And it's like when you mm-hmm. hear billions of dollars when you get that answer, and it's like to see her face. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from her, but again, this is more about um Seth Rogan's mm-hmm. character who 
who was he playing? Sorry. Uh, Gabe, Gabe Plotkin. Plotkin. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this cast is just spot on. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I really think, and I've been saying this for a while, but I feel like casting directors do not get the accolades they deserve, uh, yep. especially for films like this, for films like Oppenheimer, for films like Barbie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is hard to cast people as well as you can for characters like this, especially for ones who are alive. These are real people. Right. And kudos to um, the casting department for this one because they really knocked it out of the park. Well, the fun part for me is like you have the roster of real people between Paul Dano and Nick Offerman and D'Onofrio and Rogan. Um, but then you've, I mean, I saw these composites, like this deep ensemble of America Ferrera. We talked about Ryder and Harold and Anthony Ramos and and uh, Dane DeHaan. You know, like you have all the, at the same time that you can just make a great ensemble from just playing the history. Um, now you have all these extra characters that are the core of your film, um, but, you know, played by great actors playing composite parts. Uh, Ferreira, oh my gosh, like this and Barbie, like combined effort. What what a supporting actress kind of year for her where, it, it, yeah, there are people who have longer and thicker parts in, in both Barbie and in this one, but like she still has those moments where you're like, dang, look at her just sell us. Like, um, I know this, this. Here's my Will Johnson moment of the show. Weird comp from another place, right? Um, she has the most romantic scene in a non-romantic movie I've seen in a long time. Like her little want to flirt, like want to be flirtatious moment at the gas pump with the guy is such a joy to watch her. Like because she's kind of riding off the confidence of the money that's in her pocket right now, and that and from that comes this character kind of jump in development of like, hey. Maybe I can. Maybe I can walk over there and say hi and, and do this and do that. And it comes out of nowhere. And it, and they spend some nice little time giving her that scene. And in a movie like this where you could totally be just racing for the finish line, everything is a sense of urgency, ticking clock this, ticking clock that, you pause for a moment to just give her a thing to make her human. Give her a thing that, that goes with the theme you're talking about. Of like, hey, we're talking about life-changing money for people who need it. And what would that do for somebody? It might, you know, not just get you out of your job and get you out of your debt. It might change your mental aspect and the strength of your life. And I enjoyed watching little parts like that. Like, because Ramos has one in a celebratory way of like, fuck this job, I'm out of the store. Like, his yeah. his little moment is great too. Shailene's moment of, of, of supporting her man. Uh, Pete Davidson's moment of like, hey, I'm watching you, brother. Maybe I should, you know, not be DoorDash and clean my act up. Like, all those little moments of growth. It's not towering, take over the world growth. But just enough to go, hey, a little bit of money could save a lot of people some time and stuff. Well, and I agree. Her scene uh, at the gas pump is one of my favorite little romantic scenes uh, in a film this year. And yeah. I definitely think she is the a front runner for a best supporting actress. Uh, I think she has to be. Yeah. Nomination, definitely. Um, if not the actual uh, gold statue and a number of other uh metal metal statues out there (laughs) uh one thing though because when i was watching it the one thing that i think was hesitant for either party during that time is because of what that time was and it's covid like no one's supposed to be out no one so it's like the last thing you do is have a hookup i mean believe Mm -hmm. me i know many covid babies uh that came out of that time and it's like (laughs) 
and a number of marriages that, you know, yeah. once 2023 and we're back out in reality, sometimes they yeah. didn't last. And, you know, that is okay. You took the chance. You had that love when it happened. Um, love in the time of COVID. I'm guaranteeing there's going to be a number of books and a movie probably that's come out mm -hmm. at some point, probably 10 years down the line. So we're not still shell shocked from it. But right. no, that was a beautiful moment that, again, the only reason why I think it didn't go to the place it did is because of what the time period was, which was you cannot know. It's like you shouldn't be on a dating app. You're not going to get someone's number during yeah. that. But um, yeah, it was a beautiful it was a beautiful like thing. It. And that's I mean, there are a number of like little beautiful parts in the film that's that true. are like so that. True. that were just complete surprises and joys to me. Yeah. Like uh, the college girls take that victory lap where um, there's the glitch in the Robin Hood app where where they they're, they're you know they've been diamond hands they've been holding the whole time but like they kind of reach that point of like hey we've come this far we're here together I'm nervous I know I should hold mm -hmm. but I'm I, but I think I should sell and kind of and they and and they and they do in hindsight 2020 they got it they got out. At the completely best time before the dip came because of the shenanigans and chicanery of, of market this market that so they made out like bandits and it's great because like they got their victory lap and we get to watch that victory lap but we get to see that victory lap come from anxiety and stress and risk and it's just so nicely done um yeah if you need a love in the time of covid movie i'll drop a quick suggestion in here um unlikely place but decent is um at least i liked it i know it's probably comes across as trite but um Katie Holmes did a movie last year called Alone Together with Jim Sturgis. And it's um oh. so like two people two people arrive at a at a double booked Airbnb right when the pandemic happens, where like, hey, you need to like not go anywhere for two weeks. And these two people who are supposed to be meeting their significant others there, or one of them's supposed to be meeting a boyfriend there, one of them is just there to get away from a breakup. They end up kind of like spending two weeks together, stuck in quarantine, because they can, because they're not exposed to other places and of course fall in love a little bit but it's it's very mature in the way they handle it where it's not just immediately jump into bed and what are we going to do or the reality of when two weeks over is over happens and they do it in a in a nice genuine way i i again small movie small place but i'll give it a recommendation in the, in the middle of what we're doing here so. that is on hulu i believe that's actually been something right. that i've been meaning to watch so thank you for yeah. that suggestion i'm going yeah. to do that and it's funny though when you say that like uh, two people that double booked an Airbnb. I'm like, oh, so it's like their romantic version of Barbarian. Uh, that's that's <laughs> yeah. really sweet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, not a world shaking movie, not a change the way you feel about love movie, but just like it, it's a fun COVID time capsule and one done with that in mind. And uh, yeah, not not bad. Well, but, um, I. No yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, look, I enjoyed talking to you about Dumb Money because I know we right. both were at the same screening and we both said it, I think, when they asked for our pull quotes that it's like, look, mm -hmm. one of the best films of the year. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just I mean, I don't want to say I'm disappointed. I'm not trying to, you know, rubberneck and read other critics and whatnot. But um, I, I, yeah, I'm seeing little chatter of like, I don't know what social justice warrior people are on film Twitter and whatnot, but like where this movie doesn't go hard enough or this movie is too too glory seeking here or this or that i, I don't know what nit, it's nitpicky stuff but it's it's enough to i don't know cloud people away from just like let a good movie be a good movie let it let it light your fire a little bit and 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 appreciate the performances it took to put together and this is craig gillespie um i tanya 
is is a world beater movie for me. Uh, I didn't um, mind Corella a bit to, a couple of years ago, where this guy's this guy's good and he's going to get better. Right? I can't wait to see what he does next. Okay. See, there you go. Thank you so much for pointing that out to me. Now yeah. it all makes sense why uh-huh. Sebastian Stan uh, played exactly. Vlad Tenev. Uh, yeah, considering exactly. who he played in Itania, and he had one of my favorite lines in a film, do you like food? Uh, which I will <laughs> yeah. always love, which I always think is one of my uh, favorite um, pickup lines to ever do. So that makes complete sense why Craig Gillette, why is. he was in this film and the person that he played. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, at the end uh, of the film, and again, this is mm-hmm. based on this is based on actual um, happenings. Right. We know that, I mean, have there really been repercussions to the people that did what they did? I mean, people yeah. got screwed over. Yes, some people lost a lot of money and some stuff like that, but they also have, you know, uh, ancestral family wealth that I'm sure they're doing just fine. And you know, instead of like bulldozing a eight bedroom mansion to make mm-hmm. a tennis court, they're just going to have to um, deal and, you know, settle for the three other houses they have around the world. Yeah. I know, you know, get those hundred dollar bills and wipe your tears. It's going to be OK. Sorry. Yeah, that sounds like a little bitter Betty. Maybe I'm just sucking on some lemons too much, but <laughs> I don't feel sorry for that no me neither and Um, and i think i think that's part of the point is that the movie like there's because nothing really came of it from congressional hearings and whatnot the i think that's the whole point is that we're not going to get your traditional especially movie version come up it's like the bad guy is not going to get walked out walked out of their front door with handcuffs at the end of the movie with a rolling stone song playing or something like that like we're just not going to get to that point so we're we're we 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 have like seth rogan and his wife where we see at least we see at least rich people sweat a little bit and maybe that's enough to to you know make the villains work a little bit more for it where we know Offerman's character and Donofrio's character, the really big fat cats, are going to be fine. They're rattled a little bit. Maybe they have a few more hurdles to make their money where we're meant to see Seth Rogen sweat. We're definitely meant to see Sebastian Stan and his partner sweat because they, they you know, if their app is what burned it, then they, or they have to get, or they, if they're called upon to answer the commissions for their trades and the, some of the gobbledygook that's in the movie, we see them sweat a little bit, but at the same time, they're going to be fine. And it, history will show that they're fine. Um, the other knock I heard about this movie was like, is this rich guilt giving one to the commoners? Like, Oh, we'll make a cheerleading rah, rah movie, but we're still, guess what? Like we're still rich people making a movie about, you know, a Robin Hoodish reverse Robin Hood story. Like you're talking about in order to can, can continue to make money where, um, because that's Ben Mesrick. That's kind of the the Winklevosses from the Facebook originators are producers on this movie. Where are we? Some people have asked, are we exploiting, you know, showing a victory for the little guy just to make money for more rich people? How do you feel about that? I I don't know because I feel like I honestly I feel like the one percent wouldn't care that much to even put any of their finances toward that they're like yeah uh yeah we don't really care like i'm gonna go um you can discuss that i'm gonna go hang out on my island and yeah. uh if you guys want to write something fine here's like 
50 million. I don't know. I think I left that in my um, pants pocket, you know, in the closet mm-hmm. somewhere. But I, yeah, I really don't, I, I can understand where that thought process yeah. might come from, but I really, I think you're kind of giving them, I think you're giving the 1% of the 1% too much credit that they give a shit what yeah. um, anyone I agree. like gives a damn about. <laughs> I, I think that's, um, and if we're going to, and the next, you know, pushback is like liberal Hollywood making a story to, you know, rabble rouse and stuff like that. And you know what? Like, if they didn't, we would never get these stories. We would never get these movies. We wouldn't have the fun. We wouldn't have the fun chances of dramatization and whatnot. So I, I'm opposite to that criticism. I, I welcome it. I love it when they push. Uh, I'm not saying the taller the tail, the better, because then you do get to the Anna McKay level stuff where like, man, we're really reaching or, or, or inflating something that doesn't need that much inflation. Just tell it. Tell it in a relatable way and we're there. So I think this movie gets that tone right. I agree. I think it nails it on the head. And I also, um, I feel like at a time right now when there are a number of places in this country that are trying to not teach history uh, because it may not be, uh, well, this makes someone look bad. That's the point of history. History Mm -hmm. doesn't care if it made someone look bad. This is what happened. And you need to know what happened, good or bad, because you have to learn from that, learn how not to do what was bad so that, you know, our children, our children's children, everyone knows this is what happened. So, you know, learn from that. Um, I think we need to open our eyes to bad things that happen because there, I mean, I remember what the uh, stuff that happened in Tulsa. I had completely no idea of this. Nowhere in my history books, nothing was ever taught to me. And I had to learn this from Watchmen. That is the thing. You may call this a liberal agenda, but it's like, that is something that I am actually disgusted that schools didn't teach that, uh, you know, I never knew about. It's like, this is stuff that we need to know happen, learn from it, make sure people who did the crimes, uh, they were persecuted. Uh, and you know, just do better people. We need to yeah. do that for everyone, not only for the Uber rich or anything, but we need to do better for everyone so that, uh, you don't have to have like horrible stories. Like let's think about like how we can make this better for everyone. I know that I'm sounding yes. like very Pollyanna and kind of rambling. But it's just, it's, it's history. Working. It's like, yeah, it we need to learn from it and, um, you know, make it better. I'm with you. And I, I can't beat that as a closing statement. So Katie, you got it. Um, <laughs> Hey, let the good folks tell, uh, tell the good folks where they can find your work on social media or otherwise. Uh, you can find Katie Glidewell, um, the blonde in front on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I'm also, uh, recording with postmortem radio where I do reviews and radio of horror and a number of our fellow uh, critics um, on Chicago Indie Critics in, that's right, Chicago. <laughs> that's right. Woo-woo. Um, Katie, as usual, thank you. We love having you on. Um, Oscar season's coming where I know this will not be the last time we see you in 2023 or in the early parts of 2024. we got to have you here. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you. And you know, when it, talks, when it comes to talking about that little gold man, I am all about that. <laughs> 
it's automatic. We'll see you in February. Uh, folks, we now have merch here at the Cinephile Hizzy Fit for shirt uh, for shirts and stickers and some sweet swag. Check out tpublic.com slash user slash Ruminations Radio Network, where you will find the swag for our show and various other shows from the Ruminations Radio Network. All good stuff. Follow us right here on Twitter at, or X, whatever we're supposed to call Twitter now. I don't care. Uh, at Cinephile Fit. <laughs> will, will runs the Twitter, as you can tell. Uh, on Facebook at Cinephile Hits Fit Podcast. And on Instagram at Cinephile Fits. Find both Will and I by name on Letterboxd to check out our film reviews and ratings. Uh, we are also on Rotten Tomatoes with this show. We are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership in our tussles and for connecting with us on social media cinephile here's if it is a ruminations radio network podcast sponsored by film obsessive and 25yl media if you enjoyed this show the ruminations radio network has many more excellent pieces of programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics check them out please rate review and subscribe to our show and all the others on itunes spotify and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts